Don't do it until you talk to us first. Hello, this is Anita Joyce here with Kelly Wilkness, and this is Decorating Tips and Tricks. Episode 424, What We Would Talk You Out Of. And we do a lot of talking people out of things some, for some reason. It does seem to happen a lot. Well, you would think a decorator designer is going to be talking people into things. Oh, buy the sofa, get the drapes, mm-hmm, get the mm-hmm. pillows. But really, a good decorator, a good designer is going to end up talking people out of a lot of things and by virtue of that, saving them a lot of money either initially or down the line. Yeah, it seems like we do as much talking people out of things as we do talking them into them because it seems like sometimes people have the, you know, they've seen something on Pinterest or somewhere and they kind of say, that thing, I want that thing. And, you know, they don't really kind of visualize how it might work with their house. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, you can't really take something out of context like that. Mm-hmm. So true. There's a lot of instances when the talking out of is something that really needs to be done. So it's great to have a relationship with a client like um, like I do with a lot of my clients, and I'm sure Anita does as well, where they trust me on the things that I'm saying, come on, it's going to be great, but they're not sure. So we do a little hand-holding there, and then we do a little stopping with the no, and you know they need to trust you when you think it's no as well. So today we're going to go through... Um, more than a list, but you know, just a, a selection of a number of things that may come up, things either being decorating decisions or specific items that we would say no to. So Anita, you want to kick us off? Yes. And I was thinking about this was something, a specific thing that actually happened with one of our uh, DTT clients, and that was the trendy tile uh, that a client had picked out. And they were pretty tiles. I mean, I don't think that neither, uh, neither one of us disliked the tile, but we were very concerned that these very graphic tiles, uh, and when I say graphic, I mean they were had a lot of contrast to the, in a very bold pattern. I don't mean graphic as in naughty. very graphic tiles uh, just were not going to, we did not feel like they were going to stand the test of time. And again, tile, it's a commitment. It's not going to be easy to to change out later on. So we really think that that's something that you need to think about and make sure that you're selecting something that you're going to like for 15, 20 years, or hopefully, you know, the long term, uh, because it's not something easily changed. It's not like a pillow. I mean, go fun with the pillows, you know, but really think about the long term when you're when you're thinking about tiles. One that happens all the time. Premature purchases. Premature purchases are a bad idea. If you're decorating and designing a space. Oh, and certainly if you're renovating a space. It is not a great idea for a client who's relying on you uh, to make these premature purchases. Now, certainly if you're designing something on your own and you are certain that this is really what you want and you are certain that at the end of the day, it is going to fit in the room, work in the room and make you really happy, then 
you know, pull the trigger and and make that purchase early on. But when you're working with a designer and you're still coming up with thoughts and you're still putting a plan together and maybe the room hasn't really taken shape yet, sometimes a client will see something, they think they're getting a deal and they buy it, they don't measure it, They the color might be wrong, maybe they didn't have an opportunity to pick the right fabric. There's so many things that can be wrong with that purchase. And in addition, you if you're doing a renovation, you got to store it somewhere um, while all of this is going on. Sometimes while the plaster dust is flying, you know, now you have to store mm-hmm. a sofa or something like that. So my suggestion is whether you're working with a decorator or you're doing it on your own, wait. It's not a bargain if at the end of the day it's not going to fit or you're not going to like it. Hold on. You know, if it's an antique piece that you're never going to see again and you love it, Purchase it with the idea in your mind that you need to be flexible. Maybe it's going to work in the room you thought it would work in, but maybe it's not. But if you can put it someplace else, fine. But take pause. Right. I think, and this goes back to the, uh, just kind of some other things that we've talked about, seeing something in isolation. Yeah. Uh, You know, if you see something and you just really want it, but, you you know, it's not time for you to make that purchase yet or you haven't talked to your designer, uh, something, one beautiful piece that you see in the store doesn't mean it's going to work with your design. It's not just an issue of is it going to fit physically in the room, but uh, you've got to consider the design as the whole. And really, I think that's what a good decorator or a good designer does, because I think that's the harder thing to do. I think most clients are very good at picking out things that are really beautiful. Uh, the problem is, comes in when you're trying to make it all work together. I think that's the really much harder thing to do. And so, and that's what you're paying the uh, designer for if you're using one. So definitely you know, hold off on buying things until you, you check with, with him or her. Yeah, to make sure it's all going to work. Another thing that I was thinking about, stained cabinets. Actually, I just don't see the stained cabinets coming back in anytime soon. And if you have stained cabinets and you like them again, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with them. But I would be concerned about someone putting in a new kitchen and putting in stained cabinets because I feel like they're not going to like them down the road. I, I just don't see that look coming back in a big way anytime soon. So unless you're just really in love with it, um, I don't know. I don't I don't think I would invest there. Okay, let's stay in the kitchen for a second. Something I see time and time again when I am going to open houses, which, you know, you used to be able to just stroll in looking for a friend uh, or, you know, just sort of tire kicking and getting ideas. Oftentimes when people are renovating to stay or renovating to go even more so, they will make some bold moves in their kitchen thinking, oh yeah, we're going to get this up to snuff and change this room and make this room really look like, uh, you know, a designer kitchen. But in fact, they don't pay any attention to what the rest of the house looks like. So then the kitchen looks like it was created in a vacuum or is created offsite and somebody just plopped it in there. There's no flow. Mm -hmm. I would rather see a more antiquated kitchen that 
works with the rest of the house than sort of a kitchen with, you know, usually people pick granite if they're moving out and it might not be the colors that somebody else even wants. So they're spending a lot of money um, and a lot of time and effort uh, for a kitchen that probably your buyer is not going to even want. And if you're doing it and you're staying in the house and you're updating the kitchen, don't just update the kitchen based on what you're seeing on Pinterest or you're seeing in these kitchen and bath magazines and things like that. Think about what your whole house looks like and how you could update your kitchen so it flows and works with the look of the rest of your house. Unless you're in the market to change a lot of things in the, the other rooms, it's very strange and jarring to walk into a room and I'm using the kitchen because oftentimes that is the room people mm-hmm. do make these bold moves in and it just doesn't work. That would yeah. be a bad idea. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think that's a that's an excellent point. Now, my next thing that I would talk you out of is a gallery wall. And mm. they're very popular. And it's not that I don't like gallery walls, but I feel like it's hard to make them look really good. I think it takes uh, more than you know, you can't just throw stuff up there any which way and make it work. And so that's why I kind of lean against doing a gallery wall. I have seen some beautifully done, but um, most of them I'm I'm really not that crazy about. And again, that's a personal preference. Uh, Kelly may not agree with me on that one, but I don't know. That one's just kind of how I feel about that one. No, I'll go along with that as well. If uh, somebody said to me, let's create a gallery wall. Well, let me see what you want to put in your gallery first. And it's not going to come together by accident. It has to be really well thought out. And are you willing to make all those holes in your wall and perhaps get tired of it in a year? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's going to involve some filling and probably a new paint job and all of that. So that might not be 100% a no, but definitely take pause, think about it, and consider it in connection with the rest of your rooms as well. If you have an open concept house and you've got this giant gallery wall going on, well, that's going to be busy and you're going to see that from a lot of different angles. So I think it has a place, but not in all spaces. Um, Speaking Mm. of open concepts, since I just mentioned that term... Now, don't get upset with me, Anita. I love (laughs) your open concept because Uh, it was a planned open concept. Your house was built to look that way Mm -hmm. and you do it beautifully. Uh, What I would tell people no to is knocking down walls in a house that was not intended to be an open concept house. I think that rarely works. So say you've got an older home that has smaller rooms and you just want to open up the space, but it it doesn't really work with your Central Hall Colonial or your Cape Cod or me with my Victorian. I thought about knocking some uh, walls down in our um, between our living room and our dining room and I just think it would have taken away from the feeling of the house. Um, so I'm so glad I never did that. Uh, we we didn't really take any walls down, uh, but we just, the way we configured the space really let the light in and things like that. So I think there are ways to achieve what the, the client or the, the person, the homeowner may want to do without taking down the walls and kind of like disrupting the integrity of an older home. 
Well, that's interesting you say that. And I, I think I know what you're talking about. I've certainly seen some houses built maybe in the 60s, 70s, where they took some walls down and it looked a little odd. So I kind of get what you're saying, especially if it has low ceilings. I think it can feel off. However, I have to say in my neighborhood with these 100-year-old houses, uh, the houses were just built so differently then. And really, the layouts just do not make sense for the way we live. The kitchens were super small. Uh, a lot of these, like your Victorian house that you live in, a lot of the rooms had no closet or a very small closet. And a lot of the rooms were very small. And so I have seen a lot of houses in my neighborhood where they have taken down the walls. And I think it's really worked beautifully. So I don't know. So my personal feeling is it really does depend because I've seen it done well and I've seen it done where it's not so crazy, not so hot looking. I respect that. Even though I went along (laughs) with you with the gallery wall. Here, I got another one for you you're not going to like. Oh, okay. I say no to very bold and colorful rugs. And I know you like a rug that has a lot Uh, more color uh in it than I normally do. I just think it it then becomes the focal point of the room. Now, I'm probably talking about a rug that has a lot more going on in it than you would choose. But Mm -hmm, I just feel like the rug should just be foundational maybe sure maybe you have a little vintage thing going on but somebody's sort of muted i don't like rugs particularly if you're going to spend a lot of money for a rug if you're going to go on overstock and it's a 200 rug and you really love it well you know hopefully it lasts long enough and you don't chuck it in the landfill too soon but hey you know for some fun at that price point okay if you insist but most of my clients if they're going to invest in a rug they're going to want to get a wool rug they're going to end up spending a lot more money so i tend to tell people no let's not make the rug the focal point mm-hmm. well okay i mean i think that's a very interesting approach and it's it's like you said i mean i i don't like anything too colorful i usually kind of go with two color rugs but i do like some color and pattern in my rugs but not nothing that kind of slaps you in the face uh, but also again it really just kind of depends on the room so i you know i'm redoing you know elise my daughter elise moved into a brand new group home and she has her own bedroom and i'm so excited for her and i'm buying new furniture for it and kind of fixing it up and i just bought yesterday a rug for the space and uh it's got some color in it and it's got kind of a, a bolder pattern but i felt like the room was, needed some interest and some and she's young and i thought she would really appreciate kind of a bolder pattern so i although i wouldn't go with this many colors uh, typically in a room i did do it do it for her room so you know it really kind of depends in my mind but i do i don't know i like the plain color too so anyway well i think it's going to be beautiful in elisa's room and you should share photos when that room gets done um skipping moldings uh sometimes you know Projects get expensive, uh, particularly if you're doing a bigger renovation or adding something to your home, adding a bedroom or adding another bathroom or something like that. And people are often looking for places to save. Well, there are a lot of good places to save money uh, and do things uh, a little bit differently. But I don't think one of those places is skipping moldings. Moldings Mm. are not that expensive. 
uh, overall, particularly if you're doing a big project, they're a very small percentage of what you'd be paying to do a big project. And they make such an impact. So I would always tell clients if they say, eh, you know, we don't really need crown molding. No, no, no. No, like you really do need some molding. <laughs> You don't know you do, but you do. Yeah, you really I have do. to. We're not going this far and not doing the molding. It's like a face without eyebrows. Come on. Go the distance. Oh, I so agree with you. Put the money Yay! into the trip. Yay! We're well, back on. But even our disagreements <laughs> were, were like slight so, variations. They were so nice and so gentle disagreements. <laughs> yes, they're very, yes. It's kind of like you got just one more I can the disagree details. with now? Come on. Oh, yeah. Here's one I, yeah, but I think you're going to agree with me on this one. Uh, cool gray paint on the walls. I love gray paint. And, you know, we love the gray. The gray is not as hot as it was, but uh, I don't like to see anything too cool, too steel blue on the wall. I think it can feel harsh and, dare I say, kind of service Mm -hmm. station-ish. So I really, if you're going to use gray on a wall, which I think is a perfectly legitimate color, uh, I have gray on my walls, but it's a very warm, mine's kind of a more of a putty color gray. Uh, So, you know, that's my suggestion is to go with more of a warmer gray. So are agreed. we agreeing or, oh, we're agreeing. There you go. Agreed. Ding. Agreed. Yeah. And in fact, um, I just had Revere Pewter put up on my uh, my clients that I'm working on their master bedroom. Oh, you've been talking about this for a while. House. Yeah. So uh, they had a very difficult time choosing the paints um, because they couldn't visualize them on the wall. And we were doing the sample eyes and moving it all around and, um, Blue is not part of their current home. It's a craftsman. It's a lot of autumnal warm colors in the rest of the house. And my client was somehow fixated on blue. And I'm like, blue is just not going to flow. You want flow. Mm -hmm. You can't Mm -hmm. have blue. Mm -hmm. And then she was, okay, how about these grays? And she was picking out grays with blues in them. And I said, no, no, no. So I 100% agree with you in general and in particularly in a home that has warmer colors. Mm -hmm. But we use that Revere Pewter. And I've never used that in my own home. And I, we put up uh, this tall wainscoting all around the room. And as I said, it's a craftsman room. So that is Simply White and the Revere Pewter is gorgeous. Oh, yeah! It's such a pretty color. I mean, they do get a lot of natural light in that room, but it's gorgeous. But a, a bluey gray would not have looked mm-hmm. anywhere as good. So 100% agree with that. Um how about renovating or decorating around something you don't like just because you have it? This is going to end up costing you money well, and sadness. <laughs> you know, this is interesting. This is the same thing that I pretty much said too. And you know what I say is that, that you're being held hostage. Yeah. By whatever it is. Not only should you get rid of the thing that you don't like, but don't decorate around it. You know, if it's something, I mean, because I've had clients come and say, Uh, you know, like, I don't like this paneling. It doesn't look great to me, but we're not going to change it and you need to work around it. And I'm thinking, but I, we can do ever change everything else and it's still not going to look good because of the paneling. I mean, not to say all paneling looks bad, but I'm just saying they had paneling that they didn't like. So, uh, I agree with you. I mean, if there's something in there you really don't like, I think you have to address it and either get rid of it or paint it or change it. Yeah. Because it, unless it's a situation where you have to compromise, oh, brother. Uh, it, but if both people or all people <laughs> that are in the house don't like it and you're trying to save a little bit, then I just say to hold off until you can do it the right way. 
because you're going to spend a lot of money decorating around something that you don't like, and that thing is still going to be there, as Anita's pointing out. Another thing I would say no to and have said no to are giant kitchen islands. They dwarf the people that live there, in my opinion. You have to keep traveling all around it. And no matter how large your kitchen is, you really don't need an ice skating rink in the middle of it, <laughs> right? Or a dance floor. Although maybe a dance floor would be fun. But it's it's just too big. What are you I, calling too big? Well, it really clarify? depends on this it depends on the space. Mm-hmm. Oh, but okay. anything so that's you're saying beyond- something that So you're not talking about a specific size. You're talking about a, an island that looks too big for the kitchen. Is that yeah, fair? Yes, in general, right. But I mean, some of them are just clearly too big. Um, you know, could be too big for the space, just could be too, you could have a giant space mm-hmm. and it's, and you could have, a, you have the room for it. But I say, no, don't do it. Don't go that big. Because I think it dehumanizes the room. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, well, and I, right. And I, I, I agree that a too big island is, is not a good idea. But I do have to have say this: we're our kitchen island is the large. Well, actually, we've never had one before. It's a little. I would say it's a little on the large side. But we, it's so useful. I mean, it's just having that island has been such a game changer for my cooking and and working, you know, with, with other people in the kitchen. So I love the idea of an island. So it, I think what we're really talking about is one that's not proportional to your kitchen size. I'm telling you, it's like life-changing, my island. So I'm not going to diss my island. I'm just not. You're going to stay on your island, <laughs> even if I don't like it. Okay, I'm keeping my fine. island. I'm keeping my island. Okay. Well, if you're living in an <laughs> island and you're listening, try to make it human scale, is what I'm saying. Yes. I think you'll agreed. be much happier. Agreed. Uh, and again, out-of-scale furniture in general bad idea. Mm -hmm. Even if you fall in love with a tiny little something or other, if that's what you're going to have in a room with the giant tall ceilings, that's a bad idea. So that's in the no category as well. Yes, absolutely. And we see that all the time. And that is, again, something in isolation. The piece of furniture might be great, but once you put it in the room, it's too big or it's too small. And really, usually I see things that are too small. But definitely you can go the other way. And speaking of sofas, here's my next one that I would talk someone out of, out of, and that is a patterned sofa. As much as I love color and patterns, I think once you put a pattern on a sofa, you're started the clock ticking and it's only going to look good for so long. Whereas if you go with a neutral color or even a solid color, as long as it doesn't look too much tied to a specific period of time, it's going to, you know, last for the long haul, much more so. So I think you're really going to get your money's worth if you avoid those patterns on your sofa. Yes, totally agreed. Another thing that seems to come up often, and of course, you know, if you're trying to save money, it's a good thing to explore. But oftentimes when people want to make changes, they just really want to make a cosmetic change. When a full renovation is necessary. Mm -hmm. Let's take kitchen cabinets, for example. If your kitchen cabinets are on their last leg or hanging on their last hinge, it's probably time to get some new cabinets rather than just investing in painting them. Because painting cabinets, unless you're going to do it yourself, which I, you know, pat you on the back and thumbs up to you, go for it. But if you're going to pay someone to come into your house and spend the time 
doing the right job, the prep and the sanding and all of that to to paint your cabinets, you may as well explore replacing them and and see what the difference is because new cabinets are then going to take you into the future. The old cabinets you may not even be happy with after they're painted because they really needed to be replaced. Now, mm-hmm. I myself have done this. <laughs> Oftentimes, I'm like, well, just paint that and oh, it'll be fine. I know. How but many times have we deeper. said that? Right. And so having done that with myself in my own renovations numerous times, when it comes up with clients, we really have to examine it and get the different estimates and then make an educated decision. You know, if the budget doesn't allow, the budget doesn't allow. But it's in like a no don't just call the painter. Let's stop, pause, and, and get all the information. And when we moved into our house in San Marino, when we first came to California, I just whirled through the house pretty quick. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm going to be back in New York in six months. Doesn't really matter where I live. You know, 15 years later, we're still here. But <laughs> ha, ha, ha. I was like, let's just paint those and then we'll do this. And when I got there and I really opened up the cabinets and I was like, ew, no, like these have to come off the wall. And and there mm-hmm. we went down to the studs. So, you know, it, it's definitely a stop, take pause, get information, then make your decision. If the cabinets are old enough, painting really is just not going to do anything. I mean, I shouldn't say it's not going to do anything, but it's just not enough. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the next step up is refacing. But uh, I know sometimes they're just not nice on the inside or maybe they're the wrong height. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, just some things to keep in mind. So uh, I would always check into seeing if you do need to reface or replace them. Um Another thing that I think was super hot in the past that's not as popular now that I really would advise against, and that is a media room. That's a lot of expense for a room that I think most people are really not going to use that much. So, you know, unless you really have a lot of, unless you're really going to spend a lot of time in there and you have a lot of extra space in your house, I really think you'd do better uh, to make it into more of a multifunctional use room that you could use for a lot of different things. I know, like, unless you're Steven Spielberg, like, do you really need a completely dark media room with those really glorified Lazy Boy chairs and all of that? Like, I don't know. With the cup those, holders? Those rooms make me sad. I wouldn't want to be in that room. I'm like, I need some daylight. Right? I know. No, thank you. Not my thing. Right, yeah, I would, right. I would definitely caution against that. I, you know, I haven't had any... A client that has asked for one of those, but you know, you never know. And also, on that note, this is just off the top of my head. I didn't really think about this till now. Sometimes that there's that pull and tug on the TV, whether to have a TV or not to have mm-hmm. a TV, or if we do have a TV, what size should the TV right. be? And um, where should it go? Should it go over the fireplace? Right. So if yeah. there's the only choice, and we've we've really explored this in episodes and with um, listener questions and whatnot regarding the TV over the fireplace or the TV in the main living room area. Hey, if that's where it's got to go, that's where it's got to go. But don't make the compromise just getting a smaller TV. It's still going to be there. Mm -hmm. I just had this with another set of clients. They are currently sort of like a no TV family, and he is just dying to get a TV and to watch sports and do all this stuff. <laughs> yep, and yep. she's kind of like, "Hey, Can you just yeah. get like a twenty-inch TV." And oh like, my! But it's still gonna go in your living room. It will still be there. You might as well get the right size. 
Well, and then that little 20-inch TV, I think, somehow looks worse than a one that's yeah, properly sized. Yeah, it looks dumb. It looks right, weird, yeah. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, so I'm if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. And then, you know, just enjoy, cheer on the team when the game's on or something. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and another thing uh, that, that I think people do is uh, too much of one particular style in a room, like too much mid-century modern, for example. I've seen that where it's just a little too much. Um, I think it's nice when you're going with a, another time period like that, that you mix in some other things and mix in some modern with the mid-century. And, you know, I always like French mixed in with just about anything. So there's a lot of ways you can go with that. Uh, yeah. Okay, let me say something about marble, and then I am I'm pretty much done with my list of no's for today. Anyway, if you really want marble, come with me and get it, if the budget allows. But don't get an imitation of marble that looks like an imitation of marble. Then choose something that's different that's also uh, either a natural type of stone or a, a good composite, but not one that's really trying to mimic the look of marble, because you're not going to be happy with that. If you really want marble and you decide that you can't live with it because of the beautiful patina that it achieves over the time, (laughs) I would suggest just do something different. Find something else that you love, right? But don't try to, because it's kind of like when you get too you get you're trying to get too close but it's not the real thing it's going to always fall short of your expectations yeah i think what you're talking about is sometimes the compromise is not going to work sometimes the split the difference works and sometimes it doesn't it's kind of like the pizza conundrum do you want thick and chewy or thin and crispy there's no (laughs) middle ground so i think that's where we are here yes I have something really exciting to share with everybody. It's our new sponsor, Issue. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines to sales information and more. It's perfect creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone that wants to make eye-catching content. You can use it for your personal photo albums, you can make flip books of your family vacations, or you could use it for your business as well. Issue makes it so easy. Simply upload your PDFs and files and Issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create the content you want. And you create it once on Issue and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website, social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories. So much fun. And if you are in the business of creating, Issue is also used by millions of people to decide discover new content. It is so simple to use. And I know everybody who listens to this podcast is so creative. You're going to find a way to make Issue part of your life. And right now you can do that for free. Get started with Issue by going to Issue, that's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash D-T-T to sign up for your free account. That's Issue I-S-S-U-U dot info slash D-T-T 
for your free account. And remember that it's .info, not .com. I've used Issue in the past for flipbooks, and I have to say, previous to that, I had been creating flipbooks in some software I bought, and so it was kind of a much more involved to create the flipbook, and then I had to find hosting for it, and it was not an easy thing to do. And so that's why I actually switched to Issue when I did, because it was just so easy to upload a PDF and voila, there was the flipbook. So uh, I found them a long time ago and found that they were really wonderful to work with. So what is our hot topic today, Anita? Okay. Uh, the title of the topic is, with their states reopened, summer show houses move ahead. So, so many show houses have been canceled or delayed, and now is the time they're coming back up. Uh, for example, Kipps Bay Decorated Show House. Did you ever go to that one uh, in upper in the Upper East Side? Always. Did you ever go to that one? Yes, because, well, okay. it's such a famous one, and so I always loved going there. And I, I can't remember when I started. I was at least going for maybe five or six years before we lived in New York. And then the last apartment that we had in New York was on the Upper East Side, so we were very close to it. It was fabulous, but, you know, it's in a... It, they're in brownstones, so you can't oh, have social wow. distancing. Well, they were saying this one's probably not going to happen. So that one, I think you're going to have to just say goodbye to for this year. And then apparently the Interior Design Society, Society Charlotte Show House was open for just one day when uh, North Carolina went into lockdown. So mm. I know that's so awful. So it's kind of sad for those two, but there's some other events that are going to go on uh, with accommodations for social distancing, as you might expect. So the Atlanta Homes and Lifestyle Show House is going to happen. And I don't know if you saw there, uh, Kelly, Pamela Pierce, the editor-in-chief and founder of the Houston-based Milieu Magazine. They are moving forward with their first ever show house next month. I'm very excited. Well, Anita, I think you should let Pamela know that you would like to have a ticket and I you would like to I go, will. and then we can cover it here on Decorating Tips and Tricks. I but think absolutely, yes. I remember when we did our magazine issue, which we could link here, which is a yes. really good, um, really great episode, and I'm, I'm certain that all those magazines would be wonderful still for everyone to enjoy, especially mm -hmm. during this time when you're locked in your house. Um, I remember them talking about doing this showcase house for the first time. And I didn't remember that until you brought this article to my attention. So they did all this work and then this happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. And it's Catherine Ireland is participating. And you know, we yeah. adore her designs. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. Yeah, let me check in to see if I, I can make it to that one. Now, there are a few others that were mentioned in the article. Southeastern Design Show House and Gardens is going to happen, and the Aspire Designer Show House in uh, McLean, Virginia is also happening. So, Well, in hopefully. my local area, there's always the Pasadena Showcase, and that has been going on for many, many, many years, and it's a big to-do here. Um, and I did read in the local paper maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, that they were planning to still go forward. So, But I haven't heard anything about it since then, but it's usually sort of April and May, and it runs for about six weeks or so. And we we would go with always a big group of friends, and oh. you'd go and you'd walk around, and they had boutiques you know, mm -hmm. set up in like little pop-up tents and mm -hmm. things like that. And it was such a nice event and great way to get ideas and just sort of, you know, a lovely 
afternoon or evening out with your friends. So I hope that a lot of them can go forward. Uh, so much effort went into it. All the designers, <sighs> you think about all the things and putting it together and doing not only the designing, but the install and all that. I mean, it's months and months and months of work. Well, I know the same thing with the Round Top Antique Show this spring. Uh, it's my understanding a lot of booths were set up and <sighs> it cost all that they had to you know, buy all that product or make it, bring it there, set up their tents, and then only to be told, nope, it's shut down, and then p- pay someone to load all their trucks back up and haul them home. And I, you know, that's just very sad for people who, you know, they're, that's their business. So, and then sad for us who like to go to these things. Yeah. Yeah. So if there is a, a showcase house in your local area mm-hmm. and yeah, you check can out, check make out. it and wear your mask and go, maybe wear your gloves and, uh, you know, support them. Okay. Well, are you ready for your crush? Yeah. My crush is a pre-crush because the book is not out yet, but, um, Recently, I was contacted by P. Allen Smith, my pal, P. Allen Smith, oh, who yes. you know, had me to his home, mm-hmm. Moss Mountain Farm. Yes. We're doing a little something together on Instagram, but um, in the email, he brought to my attention that he wrote the forward for this new book that he thought I might really enjoy, and so I, of course, I will really enjoy it. Uh, it is Garden Secrets of Bunny Melon, and P. Allen oh. has written the the foreword, as I said. Um, so it's on pre-order on Amazon, but it looks absolutely beautiful. So I put mm. in my pre-order. Um, you might want to put in your pre-order too, because I don't think you can go wrong with this book. I'm sure I'm going to be crushing on it for reals when it comes. So that is my my crush. And then let me uh, jump in with a crush from one of our listeners. Uh, this is from Stacy L. Stacy wrote us the loveliest email and has been a longtime listener since episode one, has also been in part inspired by our podcast and encouraged by our voices to start our own decorating business. And so awesome. Yeah, I know. So really wonderful. And so so Stacy also gave us a lead on a new IKEA product. She particularly loved the uh, um, products that we picked out from IKEA that one episode. So, of course, I'm going to just, you know, sh- shatter the pronunciation of this name. But it's uh, yes. Lomarp, maybe? Lomarp? L-O-M-M-A-R-P cabinet. It's bluish green. It's a really, really nicely detailed cabinet. And then she's got this um, mirror over it that is a colonial. Like, remember those American Eagle mirrors i remember my mom having one but it's sprayed this bright gold it's fab it's so fab like i am now like oh i want to find one at at a thrift store an (laughs) antique store so thanks stacy thanks for the lovely email yes stacy that is awesome so my crush is well do you remember on sesame street they used to say that today's episode is brought to you by the color green Yes. Or the color red. Well, today's episode is brought to you by the color Georgian Revival Blue. That is my my crush. Uh, We're painting the farmhouse uh, right now, or shall I say an expert is painting it, and I'm just pointing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There has has to be a pointer. Yes. Every project needs a pointer. 
Yes, yes, yes. So I'm pointing. So, so it's, the outside, uh, the exterior? Well, oh, no, no, no. It's just the front door. So no, okay, we're, we're okay. actually painting the house. Actually, I think he's already finished. A creamy white called steamed milk. Oh, which are, these are all Sherwin-William paints because those are the paints that he buys, which are really good quality paints anyway, by the way. Uh, so uh, steam milk. And then the front door is Georgian Revival Blue, and it's a cerulean blue. Oh, it how perfect. A very bold blue. You know, we had kind of a maroon colored door. And yeah. so I went a completely different. And the house was green. It was called, I think, Escape Green, which was kind of a gray green. So, um, yeah, I thought it was time to go with a white and uh, we have a limestone base around the house, so I couldn't go with anything too bright white or it was going to look really dirty. So this is a very creamy, creamy um, uh, white. For the, oh, I for think the- that's going to be beautiful. And that sounds like a great blue. I'm going to check that out. Yes. Yeah, so I saw he sent me a picture of the back door, but I haven't seen a picture of the front door yet. But I'm very excited. So, yes. Okay. And our listener question today is really a question that's come in... Now and again, ever since we began the podcast, um, our listener, Margot, wants to know, what's the best way to fill glass-fronted cabinets? Um, She was not specific that they were in her kitchen, but I'm assuming they were. But oftentimes people have these in their kitchen or maybe a butler's pantry or above what would be considered kind of like a, you know, a wet bar area, something like that. Normally... They're not in uh, the living room or dining room, but it could be as well. So just our thoughts on how do you fill cabinets that everybody's going to be able to see into? Oh, wow. Well, uh, my um, tip on this would be to limit it to just certain colors. Uh, My kitchen cabinets, I have just white in there, but I have a wall of glass-fronted cabinets. So for me to have a lot of different colors in there, I think would... um, not have a very cohesive look. I think the smaller the area is, you might be able to get away with more color. But I think one trick is to kind of limit the colors in there. And then the other thing, which is very, very, very hard for me to do because I love dishes, and that is to limit the amount of dishes that you see in the cabinets. Where uh, I know in my kitchen cabinets, um, I have just one bowl or one vase or one pitcher in each um, section of or window of the cabinet, for lack of a better word. So on each shelf, I'll have two things and two big things. And so I think that's the other trick. So few things, big things, and few colors. Good point. Would be my tips. Yeah, I agree with all of those things. Um, Something you might want to consider depending on how your glass is configured is it just a plain sheet of glass does it have true divides um so depending on that um that adds some busyness to it too so all Mm -hmm. the more reason you would maybe just put one big picture or uh maybe uh, one big bowl or a stack of bowls or a stack of dishes just so but it though even though it's a stack it will appear sort of as one unit um and you don't fall into the idea of like, oh, I'm putting a, something low and then something inside of it because you're not going to be able to see that from far away right. unless you're right on top of it. And maybe break it up a little bit. If it really is something you can do uh, just for decorative pieces and you don't have to have things that are used every day in the kitchen, uh, then maybe you even put 
uh, some books in one where you kind of getting, again, that sense where it is one unit. So if you had books that had the same color spines, maybe a little collection of vintage books or something like that, and that will kind of like give a place for the eye to rest. And then maybe in the next one, you have something that's a little bit more ornate or a little bit more um, curvy or something like that. So I think uh, Anita's points are all ones that you should take, limit the color, big things, and um, fewer things. It's fun to to decorate. Well, it's like an open cabinet too, but it it has that additional element of the glass. So um, I think going bigger is a really good idea in there because you can't really see in like you could if Mm -hmm. it was completely open. Yeah, now I having said that, I have an armoire in my <laughs> breakfast room area that is just jam-packed with dishes. So I don't always even follow my own advice. Well, you just have a lot of dishes. I have a lot. Yes. So I hope that helped, Margot. And thanks so much to, again to Stacy for that great crush. And um, I hope everybody had fun today. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we have, we so enjoy talking with you and talking with each other um, all the time, but even more so now, I have to say. So I hope that you're finding that the podcast is a little bright spot in your day. And remember, we are here to inspire you to create a beautiful home. Until next time.